Well, good morning. Thank you all for being here uh, this morning. I am. Uh, I told Buffy last night that uh, this is this is one of those messages that I'm uh, I'm excited uh, to preach this morning. So if you will go ahead and be turning uh, to First Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, surely by now you've all uh, you've all noticed the table obviously being set uh, this morning, and and we're prepared at the uh, end of the service to to partake in the Lord's Supper today. And this uh, this table sitting up here is obviously it's a, it's a familiar sight uh, to those of you here at Crossway, and it's also a familiar sight to uh, to most Christians. Uh, unfortunately, though, it can be a, a little bit too familiar to us. Yeah. See, when we become so familiar with the Lord's Supper, we can start to take it for granted. Um, we can start to take it for granted. We can just, just go through the motions and miss the significance of what it is that we're actually here to do today. See, that's the most important thing for those of us who will be partaking today, is remembering why we're doing what we're doing. So we need to take some time this morning to look at the meal and the message that it brings, the message that it preaches to us. So this morning we've got the opportunity to do that, so if, you, or if everybody's there at 1 Corinthians 11, uh, just say I'm here. I need to get there, I guess. All right, if you will, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy and perfect word. We'll start in verse 23, 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had been given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This is the, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who drinks, eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. That's part of the problem. Lord God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to stand up here, Lord, and to preach your holy and perfect word. God, I thank you for everyone here today. I thank you for those who will come to the table. And Lord, I just pray that through this message that no one comes to the table today in an unworthy manner. I pray through this message, Lord, that they will hear the words that you spoke to the Apostle Paul in our passage today. They will hear and they will heed the warning Paul gave to the Corinthian church and therefore gives to us here today. Lord, we honor you. We give you all the praise. And we thank you right now for the sweet and precious name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, I want to use this entire sermon to prepare our hearts to come to the table. 
And more than that, I, I want to explain the, the active part that each of us ought to play in communion. You know, the, the logistics of the Lord's table, even in a small body like ours, as the deacons pass out the elements and they serve you, it, it, it means that you've got means that you've got what? Means you've got time to do what? To do nothing? Yeah, it's the time we have even during the serving of the bread and the cup, it's not a time to relax. It's not a time to zone out. It's not a time to check your phone, your messages, your text messages, or your Facebook, or even time to start packing your stuff up and getting ready to go. God demands that each one of us actively engage our hearts and our minds in what's happening as we come to the Lord's table. And so this morning, what I want to do is explain what that means and how we can do that, all right? We must engage our hearts and we must engage our minds as we come to the Lord's table because the Lord's Supper or communion is an ordinance, all right? Uh, as, as we prefer to call it that, the, the, an ordinance, as opposed to a sacrament. You may be familiar with that word sacrament. That's what you would hear the Catholics or, or the Lutheran church call it. But the, but the word ordinance, it distinguishes uh, what we do from the practice of the Catholics or, or the Lutherans because we don't celebrate Mass. We're not celebrating Mass here today. See, in the Roman Catholic Mass every Sunday, Jesus is crucified fresh. And, and we don't want to, anybody to misunderstand that. All right? Christ didn't die fresh here today. Jesus died once and for all at Calvary. So we want to make clear by calling this an ordinance that we don't make that same mistake. Jesus ordained the Lord's Supper as a practice for his people. He called us to commemorate his death. And because he's our Lord, then we should desire to obey him, right? Amen. And so this ordinance calls us to gather around the table frequently. Jesus said, as often as you eat, as often as you drink this cup. And so he intended that we would partake in the Lord's Supper frequently. And I think you'll see in a few minutes uh, as we begin to talk about the Lord's Supper and what it really is, why uh, we are to do it frequently. Now our practice here at Crossway is uh, we strive to, go, strive to come to the table uh, every five weeks. And sometimes that happens a little more often. Sometimes it, there's a, an extra week or two in there. Uh, but I think the, the practice or what we strive for is at least at a minimum twice a quarter. Some people, uh, though, would ask, uh, why don't you do it more often? Why don't you do it every week? And there's really a, a lot of denominations that practice it weekly, uh, including some bodies of Southern Baptists who would do it weekly. But here's my opinion on that, and, and realize this is strictly my opinion when I say this. I think when you do it weekly, when you do it that often, inside the walls of the church, it becomes a ritual. It tends to reduce the meaningfulness of what we do. And so what we do is try to tend, we tend to hit a balance where we do it often, but we don't do it every week so that it doesn't become mechanical and it's not just going through the motions, right? So what I want to tell you now, though, is, is something you may not have ever heard. I don't think we should rely solely upon the church to play the active role when we come to the Lord's table. Amen. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I'd ask at home, do you ever combine communion with your own supper? Many of us in here are part of small groups that meet during the week outside 
of the walls of this church. When was the last time those of you that lead small groups ever led those in your group in the Lord's Supper? See, that should be a natural thing for us to do. It should be a natural thing for us just to flow right into. And you can do it. You can absolutely do it. It doesn't have to be a pastor or deacon that leads it. Leaders of the family, leaders of, of, of small groups can do it, absolutely. He said, for as often as you will, you don't have to have a degree. You don't have to be ordained to do anything like that. Jesus says, I want you to remember me all the time. So let's remember him not just when we enter a church building on Sundays. Let's gather around the Lord's table as we gather around our own. Amen? Amen. So let's get to our text um, this morning. Uh, we obviously see that, that Jesus instituted uh, communion uh, in the Gospels. But, but it's, I think, the most complete revelation of the meaning of the Lord's Supper is found in our text this morning, 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, in verse 23, Paul tells the Corinthians in the uh, that the historical context of when Jesus instituted the Supper, he did it when? The night that he was betrayed. The night before he was crucified. So he was with his disciples. They were in the upper room, and they were celebrating Passover. And Jesus instituted the ordinance in the middle of that Passover meal. So during the Passover, cups were passed around four different times. Uh, it, was a, it was a very lengthy and involved ritual. Uh, the meal would begin uh, by a host or the host uh, proclaiming a uh, blessing over the first cup, and then they would pass it around the table. And then after that first cup was passed around the table, um, and then those at the table would dip bitter herbs in a fruit sauce, and then as they ate, there would be a message that was, uh, that was given on the meaning of Passover, and then the first part of a hymn that was based on uh, a couple of psalms, Psalms 113 and 114, uh, the first part of those hymns would be sung. And then after uh, a second cup was then passed around, and uh, the host broke unleavened bread at that time, and it was passed around the table, and then the third time the Passover meal itself was actually served, the sacrificial lamb, uh, which it, it had been roasted, and it was served, and then the third cup was passed, and then the rest of the hymn that, I, uh, that was, you know, the first part of it was sung before, the rest of it would be sung at that point. And then before the meal ended, uh, there was a fourth cup that was passed around, and that commemorated or signified the, the coming Messiah. So it was during the third cup, of the Passover celebration that, that uh, Jesus changed. All right? Jesus consecrated uh, that third cup into what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And uh, Luke 22 was, was very specific. It says that Jesus took the cup after they had eaten. And verse 25 here in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, look at that. It says, the passage says that Jesus took the cup after supper. So after the Passover meal, Jesus took the elements that were already on the table they would have been right there on the table, and uh, they'd have been originally part of the Passover meal. He took those, those elements, he broke the bread, and he distributed it. He passed the, the cup around. And so what happened was the New Testament um, practice of the Lord's Supper um, grew directly out of the Old Testament practice of the Passover, and the two are linked. So in our text this morning uh, that we read, First uh, Corinthians 11, 23 through 30, as I read through that, I found seven meanings, seven significances of the Lord's Supper. There's probably more, but I think uh, these seven are the primary meaning of the ordinance. And so some of you have already been taking notes. 
I appreciate that. I'm glad that you've done that. Uh, and, and really right now is when you really should be taking notes uh, as we go through these next seven things because this is what I really want you to get, are these next seven things. All right, so if you were here last Sunday or, or even Wednesday night, we told you that we would be uh, coming to the table today, the Lord's table. There's a reason for that because we should all come to the table prepared. We should all come here on the Sundays that we partake in the Lord's Supper. We should prepare ourselves the week before. And I think that if you grab one or two of these meetings that I'm going to share with you this morning, um, you don't have to do all of them, but if you, if you would grab one or two of them each time we come to the table, uh, it's, it's really, really important. That's what I would recommend uh, that we do so you can engage your hearts and your mind on what it is that we're going to be, what it is we're going to do. So the first, the first significance, the first meaning of the Lord's Supper is, is that it, it signifies our union with Christ and with each other. So the first meaning of the Lord's Supper is our union with Christ and our union with one another. If you'll turn back to uh, just a page back to 1 Corinthians 10. First Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17. It reads, The cup of blessing which we bless, is, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. <clears throat> now, notice the word communion in verse 16. <laughs> When, uh, when the Gospels describe the Lord's Supper, the word uh, communion uh, it isn't used. When, uh, when in our text today, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul doesn't use the word communion, but he does use it here in this passage. And what he's describing is what the Lord's Supper means. He uses that word communion twice, and that's why we call this communion, in addition to calling it the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table. And we can't take the time to break down this entire passage, but... What, what Paul was doing here in 1 Corinthians 10 was he was, he was uh, trying to convince the Corinthians of the danger of eating meat that had been offered to idols. All right, that's the context. And his argument went like this. He said, if you eat meat that's been offered to idols, then, then you have a union with those idols. And so how he proved that point was that he's pointed to the Lord's table. He said, when you partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper, then you are signifying, you are entering into a union that you have with Jesus. And so when we partake in the Lord's Supper, in a sense we're saying that, that to the Lord that, that we're united, that we are in union with him. And I don't think we realize sometimes how, how great, how wonderful that doctrine is, the doctrine that, that when God looks at us, he sees us in union with Jesus. Amen. He sees Jesus as righteousness, not our sin. So he loves us with the same love that he has for Jesus. His only son, his only begotten son, the same love that God the Father has for him, he has too for us. Amen. So all the blessings in the heavenly places, they're ours in Christ Jesus. If we're in union with him, if we're a child of God. See, we're joint heirs with Christ. Everything that Christ is going to inherit, I'm going to inherit you're going to inherit. Why? Because of our union with him. And so when we come to the Lord's table, one of the thoughts 
that, that ought to dominate us, it should absolutely dominate our minds, it should overwhelm us, is that God has united us to Jesus by faith. But then there's a second point here. Not only do we commune, not only do we celebrate and realize our union with, with Jesus when we come to the table, but, but we also celebrate our union with each other. All right? So there's a sense that when we come to the Lord's table, we're saying to, 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 to each other that, that we're in union. I'm in union with you. Does that make sense? See, we're all part of the body, the body of Christ as, as children of God. And what that means is that we're pledging ourselves. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4. We're pledging ourselves to endeavor to keep the unity of the body in the bond of peace. And because of that, I want you to hear and I want you to heed what I'm about to say. All right, listen to me very closely. I'm not sure that we can rightly come to this table if we harbor any bitterness in our hearts towards anybody in this congregation. Did you hear me? You cannot rightly come to this table if you have any bitterness in your heart towards anybody in this body. We're sinners, all of us, right? We hurt each other, we wrong each other, but one of the purposes of the Lord's table is to bring us to a point as a congregation where we handle these issues. Jesus has devised the idea of communion in such a way that you can't partake of it and not seek reconciliation with other members of the church. So what this supper does is it prompts us to seek peace with others. And if we don't, we're liars. We're given the lie to what we're actually symbolizing as we partake in the Lord's Supper. See, I think of the Lord's Supper this way. We're, we're all sitting around the table, and God's saying, enough. Enough of the bickering. It ends right now. So that's also what, sign, what signifies we come to the Lord's table is the unity and union of God's people. All right, that's the first point. Now, the second point and the significance of the Lord's table reminds us that we've been saved under the new covenant. The second meaning of the Lord's table is our salvation under the new covenant. So when Christ instituted this ordinance, he said, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. And so partaking in the Lord's Supper reminds us that we're under a new covenant, a better covenant. So when I think about this, my mind... It always goes back to Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. Um, and we don't have time to turn there, but uh, again and again, the author of Hebrews says, he uses this word, he says, he says, once for all. Once for all. So Jesus' death was once for all. And what the author was doing was what he was doing was contrasting, the, the, what, contrasting that with the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, the high priest had to do what? Every year, once a year, he had to go into the Holy of Holies, and he had to present blood for the entire nation of Israel. But no more. Jesus died once for all. Amen. So one of the things that we celebrate when we come to the table is the once-for-allness of our salvation. The absolute sufficiency of what Jesus did on the cross to save us. So at the Lord's table we celebrate a new and a better covenant that works from the blood of Jesus. Reminds me of the hymn, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. 
Amen. The third point of the third significance of the Lord's Supper is the public proclamation of the Lord's death. So when we gather around the table, we as a church, not me, not just Buffy, not the deacons, uh, when they appear up front to prepare to serve you, but all of us as a body are publicly proclaiming what Christ did for us. And we're doing it in two parts. His body was broken and his blood was shed. Christ said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. And so what's, what's interesting to me, you know, there's several liberal denominations out there. And they, they don't even want to talk about the blood of Jesus anymore. As a matter of fact, some of them have gone as far as to, to remove the term blood from their hymns. But what's interesting to me is, is some of those same denominations are the ones that partake in the Lord's Supper weekly. So they've taken it out of their doctrine, they've taken it out of their preaching, they've taken it out of their hymnals, but they can't take it out of this. They cannot. Every week they lift the cup, whether they want to admit it or not, every week they lift the cup, they're proclaiming the shed blood of Jesus that cleanses us. So when we come to the Lord's table, we proclaim the Lord's death. That only by the shedding of blood is the remission of sin. And so this, this, this has a meaning. And, and it's not just for, 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 for us as God's church. It has a meaning for anybody who wanders through those doors. We're proclaiming the gospel to them when they walk through these doors. We're proclaiming that, that it's through the blood of Christ that, that we're saved. So in the third place, it's public proclamation of Christ's death. And we move on to the fourth significance, the fourth place. It's a time for self-examination. A time for self-examination. Look at verse 31. I stopped at 30, but look at 31. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. So, so we must examine ourselves. Paul says, that we must be judged lest, or we must judge ourselves lest we be judged. So we must examine ourselves lest God examine us and find warning. So, you know, we don't have time to dig into all the details, but this passage in, in, in a larger context indicates that there were members of the, the Corinthian church that were deathly ill. They were sick. Some of them, in fact, died. Why? Because they hadn't examined their hearts. They hadn't examined their attitudes as they came to the Lord's table. Get a hold of this. Understand what I'm saying. Grab a hold of this and, and clearly try to take it in. Paul warns us, when we take communion, coming to the table is serious. Absolutely serious business. In fact, it's life or death. We dare not come to the table without examining our hearts for sin. It's one of those things that, that, that every time I come to the table, personally, this is one of those things that, that the Lord brings to my heart. I can't come to the table without confessing sin. Now, and I know some of you like me and some of you are, um, but sometimes we go days, maybe even weeks, without confessing uh, our sin to the Lord. The Lord's table is, is God's way of intervening. It's his way of intervening 
in your life, in our life, in my life, by saying, it stops now. You must confess this sin. You've got to lay it aside. So we've got to deal with it through the blood of Jesus. You ever had a shirt, you ever pulled a thread, had a hanging thread on your shirt and just pulled it and just kept pulling it and kept pulling it and kept pulling it? Eventually you got to think, this church is going to fall apart. Right? Uh, well, that's a pretty good picture of unconfessed sin. Our, our, the longer we let it go, the more our lives start to unravel. And so there comes a time when we've got to do something about it. The Lord's table is what God's furnished for us. So our lives don't continue to unravel. He says, no more. Deal with it right now. Confess it, lay it aside, and put it under the blood. But the self-examination that, that Paul is talking about is, is not just talking about unconfessed sin. It's also talking about the heart that we bring to the table. See, there were apparently folks in the church at Corinth who were who were partaking in the in the Lord's Supper uh, flippantly. So what they were doing, um, some of them, you know, and, and this is this is something that uh, that I always thought was a good idea. Um, I mean, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper what in the middle of a meal. In the middle of Passover. So it makes sense to me that the Corinthians here were saying, all right, well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a church supper, and in the middle of the church supper, we're going to have the Lord's Supper, right? So if these folks weren't from the South. They didn't know what a potluck was. Everybody brought their own food for themselves, is what happened. And so, so some people, you know, back in this day, there were some people who were slaves. They didn't have anything, nothing. And so you had some people, and they had big feasts for their own families, but then they would be sitting next to people who had absolutely nothing. They didn't care. They didn't care. The attitude that they had was, I don't care about my brother. I don't care that he's hungry. And God said, if you're going to come to my table with that attitude, I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to deal with you. And some of them died. Some of them died. Listen, church, we can't afford to come to the Lord's table with a flippant attitude. Cannot. You come to the Lord's table, and you actually, if, if your mind is a, is a thousand miles away, you're not paying attention to what's going on here, you're in danger. You're eating and drinking. God says that you're eating and drinking judgment on yourself. So we need to examine ourselves, not only for unconfessed sin, but we need to examine the attitude that we bring to the table as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. All right? Then in the fifth place, uh, the fifth thing is the uh, Lord's Supper is an object lesson. It's, a, it's an aid to our faith. And I, and I really like this one. All spiritual blessings are ours in Christ Jesus. So everything that you and I need to live the Christian life for God's glory, Jesus says, I'll give you. I'll give it to you. One of my favorite verses from John chapter 1 is verse 16. It's of his fullness we have received grace for grace. Grace in place of grace. So he gives me grace that I need today, and I use it up, all right? I run dry. Well, guess what? He's going to give me more. He'll give me more grace tomorrow. He'll give me more later tonight if I need it. Everything that I need to, to, to resist temptation, everything that I need to, to overcome any obstacles in my life, everything that I need to serve him, to serve my family, Jesus is willing to give me. But that's not how most of us live. 
That's not how most of us live. So we have this unlimited, unlimited supply of grace. Yet we're weary. We're faint. We can't seem to find the spiritual reserves to go forward. To do the things that we need to do. And here's the truth of it. We need to be reminded often. And we need to be reminded forcefully that Jesus is always there saying, I've got grace for you. I've got what you need. That's the object lesson. It's an object lesson to teach us, to remind us of that truth. So the bread and the cup sustain us physically. But the object lesson of what, that, of what Jesus offers at all times is spiritual. He says, I'll notice you. I'll sustain you. Whatever you need, come to me and I'll give it to you. You see, there's nothing, nothing magical about this, about this bread and this cup up here. Nothing magical about it. That's the problem with the Catholics have. They thought that you had to magically transform into something. That if you that if you partake of it, you would it would do you some spiritual good. All right, so we can't do anything with this stuff up here that, that, that that's going to be passed out to you later on at the end of the service. That's going to do you any spiritual good. It can't happen. But when we celebrate this, what's intended to teach every one of us is that when we come to Christ, that we need to come to Christ because He can give it to us. And so some of us, it's been days, it's been weeks since we've run to Christ and said, I'm poor. I'm dry. I'm needy in spirit. I don't have what it takes. That's what the Lord's Supper is teaching us. To run to Christ. Teaching us that, that Christ is sufficient for whatever we need to live for. Jesus will give it to us. See, some of us think the Christian life is too hard. And you know what? It is too hard if you're not relying on Jesus for the grace. The way I look at it is when we come to the table, Christ is there and he's going to give us what we need. All right? And so the sixth thing, the next thing uh, I want to look at is the Lord's table points to the promise of Christ's return. The promise of Christ's return. Jesus commanded us to do this until he comes again. It's interesting that, uh, that there's three tenses to the, to the Lord's Supper, to the Lord's table. There's the past. It points us back to the past and, and the cross and what Jesus did for us. It also points us to the present, to the communion that we have right here and now with Jesus and each other. But it also points us to the future, the, the promised return of our Lord. So don't look, miss the last three words of verse 26. Look back at verse 26. The last three words, until he comes. We need to keep those three words in our focus. Until he comes. We need to keep it in our focus for, for a couple of reasons. First, uh, they remind us that Jesus didn't die. He just didn't die. He rose again. So Christ can't return if he's dead and buried in a grave. It can't happen. So this table is also about the resurrection of Jesus. We need to remember that when we come to the table. We need to think about the victory that he won. The victory over sin and death and hell and Satan. And those three words, they assure us until he comes. I think one of the things that, that we think about when we come to the table is the fact that in the end, 
Who wins? That's right. I don't think we know how, how great that is. How wonderful of a thought that is. See, we're not in the place in this country, in, in the place of, uh, of hundreds of thousands of Christians around the world who are living under persecution right now. Muslim lands in particular, some of them are dying for their faith. But in the end, they're going to be vindicated. Their faith is going to be vindicated. Our faith will be vindicated because all of God's people will win when Jesus returns. And so one of the thoughts that should consume us, it could absolutely consume us when we come to the table, is the thought of Jesus' return and his victory on our, and, and our part in that victory. And that brings us to our final point this morning. Our last point, which is probably one of the most, if not the most important, is this ordinance is a memorial of Christ's death. It's a time to remember. Most familiar words in this whole passage this morning is to do this in remembrance of me. So, it's kind of important for us to understand Jesus' audience when he gave the ordinance of the supper. To the Hebrew mind, to the Jewish mind, the concept of memory, it went beyond what we think of when we think of memory. We think of recalling facts, right? Recalling things from the past or facts from the past. The past. Well, to the Hebrew mind, remembrance was had the idea, carried the idea of reliving something, of going back and reliving the circumstances and everything that it meant. And so one of the things that we have to do, we should do, we ought to do when we come to the table is to try to picture what happened at the cross. As Jesus was nailed there for our sin, as he slowly bled out, as his heart broke, under the weight of our guilt, God turned his back on him. What did he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then he finally cried out, it is finished. We need to relive those things. We need to do that. And I hope and pray that it does in your heart. I hope and pray that, that it will fill you with praise and worship and adoration for Jesus. And that's ultimately what this table is all about. It's a time where we give gratitude to Jesus as we remember what he did for us. And so, I'd like to invite you to the Lord's table. And I want you to remember that it's the Lord's table. It's not the Crossway Baptist Church table. It's not the Big Hatchie Baptist Association table. It's not the Southern Baptist Convention table. It's the Lord's table. If you belong to the Lord, if you've trusted Him, then you're welcome at the Lord's table. But it ought to be evident from everything that I've said this morning that if you've never made Christ your personal Savior, then you shouldn't partake. Because the significance of what we're doing this morning would be lost on you. And in fact, according to the words of the Apostle Paul, you would be partaking in, in, in an unworthy manner. So the only way that we can come in a worthy manner to the Lord's table is if the Lord has, has cleansed us and saved us. And so, now maybe there's somebody here this morning and you've never
never taken that step or, or maybe you're just unsure, then I want you to listen. I encourage you to listen as I speak his gospel to you. Do you know why you were created? Do you know why you're here? Do you know what your purpose is? So God created you to bring glory to himself, first and foremost before anything else. But what happened was that you and I, we wanted the, that glory for ourselves. We're glory thieves. So what we did is we re rebelled against God. We chose our own way. We became sinners against God. We became his enemy, the Bible says. We're his enemy, why? Because we sin. And the Bible says, what does it say about sin? It says that sin has to be paid for. And there's only one wage for it, and that's death. Both physical and spiritual death, an eternal separation from God. That's our condition. But here comes the good news, his provision. God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to be our substitute. He sent his only son to take on the very flesh that he created. He sent him here to this world. And what Jesus proceeded to do was live a perfect life, a sinless life, the life that we couldn't live. He came with one sole purpose, and that was to die. For your sake, to die for my sake, so that we could receive the forgiveness that we don't deserve. Jesus was crucified on the cross, and when he was crucified on the cross, he took on the sin of everyone who would ever believe on him. He, God absolutely crushed his own son for your sake and for my sake. And it pleased him to do it. And three days later, approving of the sacrifice that Jesus made, God, God raised him from the dead. He resurrected him. Why? So that you and I would not serve a God that was dead and buried in a grave. But rather, we serve a living God. We worship and serve a God that lives, a God that defeated death, that defeated sin, that defeated Satan. So, folks, you're, you're at a moment right now, a moment of response. What's required of you right now is a response to this message. And you're going to respond. You're either going to reject it or you're going to respond to the gospel in repentance and faith. Now, what does repent mean? Well, repent means it's not saying, God, I'm sorry. It's not, God, I'll try harder. I'm next time. I screwed up. I, God, I'll do better. That's not repentance. Repentance is that you've spent your whole life. Here's the picture of it. You've spent your whole life running in this direction, all right? You're running this direction. Your back is this direction. And what you're running towards is sin. You love sin. You love it. You hate God. You're running away from him. What repentance is is a complete change of mind. And so when God works in your life through the, through the hearing of the gospel and through the work of the Holy Spirit and he regenerates your heart, you have a complete change of mind and you turn. And you turn your back to that sin and you see what you've been running from that whole time is Jesus. And you spend the rest of your life running towards Jesus and running away from sin. That's biblical repentance. So as we begin this time of invitation, I'm going to ask you, if you've never trusted in Jesus, just as God does, just as the Scripture does, I'm going to command you now to repent and believe. 
maybe the Lord has shown you and has been showing you this morning and, and as you visited here that the crossway is, is a place where he desires you and your family. If you're looking for a church home and God has been speaking to you about crossway during this time of invitation, I would ask you to respond. Or maybe you have assurance of salvation, but you've never followed through with believers' baptism and you want to get that scheduled. The time to respond for that now as well. But also during this time, I, I want to extend another very, very important invitation to everybody in this room. Everybody, whether you're a believer or whether you realize that you're lost. As we head into the Lord's Supper, examine yourself. Right now, take this time to examine yourself. If there's anybody in this room that has bitterness in their heart, toward anyone else in this body. Take this time to make it right. Reconcile that person right now. Reconcile that person now or don't come to the table today. Do not. Take this time to confess your sin. Whether you do it there in your seat or you need to come to the altar, you want me to pray with you or you just want to come to the altar and pray, take this time right now to confess your sin to the Lord. However you feel led by the Holy Spirit, I want you to respond in obedience right now.